National Pet Obesity Awareness Day is October 12th. This week, we want to talk about results from last year's pet owner and veterinary professional survey and how people feel about pet food and diet in general. This week on The Veterinary Viewfinder. Welcome back to The Veterinary Viewfinder, the podcast that tackles the toughest topics in veterinary medicine. And let's face it, if you want to start a fight these days, ask somebody what they feed their pets. So this week, we're going to talk all about pet obesity. We're going to talk about how you can help and how we need your help desperately with our annual survey. And we're going to talk about some of the results from the pet owner and veterinary professional survey from 2021. But before we get into all of that, as always, I am one of your co-hosts, Dr. Ernie Ward. And I'm registered veterinary technician, Becky Mosser. And Becky, it's that time again. National Pet Obesity Awareness Day is just around the corner, October 12th. And guys, this is a just a plea, a desperate plea for you to sign up and help because we need your help with our prevalence surveys. Also, there's also you know, a survey that you can just answer questions. But what we need most are your results. We need BCS weights on these pets. And it's a very simple process this year. I mean, Becky, you know, we we got kind of shut down during COVID. We haven't done a national survey uh, of vet clinics since 2018. So we really need help. Yeah. I mean, obviously <laughs> we need the help because you guys are the ones out there collecting the data. But I, I think the background, the backstory, the importance of all of this, your why, right? Like what's the why? The you, you know, you have this fancy title, right? The Pet Obesity Prevention and the Association and, and there's a board and it's real fancy, but the, the truth of the matter is it's like grassroots, really important stuff you guys are doing, the data you provide. I see the images, the graphics that you guys use everywhere. So just like pause there, you know, I want to hear the backstory. Like how did, how did this come up? Yeah, it's a good question. And I really do like sharing that story. So, you know, guys, again, Pet obesity is a passion of mine, but it's actually the direct extension of my interest in longevity. So if you rewind the tape, you know, 20, 25 years ago, I was really, you know, interested in senior pet care, right? And so at that time, I helped found, you know, the Senior Pet Care Society and all that stuff. And so we were we were trying to raise awareness. I was part of the committee. In fact, I was one of two GPs that was on this committee to establish, quote unquote, the gold standards for senior pet care, which was really nice. We had some great publications that came out of that. That was around 99, I think it was, 98, 99. And anyway, so I had this big interest in longevity and senior pet care and all that stuff. And, and if you look at older dogs and cats, you quickly realize that a lot of those conditions are weight-related, right? So we're looking at diabetes in cats, even hypertension. Osteoarthritis is compounded, if not caused directly by weight, excess weight. And so you know, I started going, okay, really what I need to be talking about or focusing on is pet obesity. And so at that time, you know, now we're into 2003, 2004, Becky, I'm also on my own personal journey. So this is as I'm ramping up to start in my Ironman. I was becoming a certified personal trainer. Later, I would become an Ironman certified coach and all that kind of stuff. So I'm kind of on my own health journey and I'm I'm really asking everybody around me. And I was kind of surrounded at that time by a bunch of internists and surgeons. And I was going, what about pet obesity? What about pet obesity? And, and Becky, nobody was nobody could answer, right? We were like, what are you talking about? Fat cat's a happy cat. And it wasn't until 2004 at a dinner, I'll never forget, with uh, Dr. Steve Budsberg, who is a 
past, he was one of my professors at University of Georgia. Uh, he was past president of the American College of Veterinary Surgeons. And, and really, and if you know who Steve Budsberg is, you know exactly how this conversation went. So I'm like, you know, I'm trying to, you know, talk about pet obesity. And, and this guy's like, why don't you just shut up, Ward? <laughs> Because if you're so worried about this, why don't you go do something about it? And literally, that was the spark that I needed. And so I, I later said, Steve, would you be willing to help? And he was. And he has been incredibly generous over the years. He's since retired from Georgia just recently. Um, but um, regardless, in 2005, we said, let's start this thing. And we got a bunch of people uh, that were kind of like-minded. And that's where it really started off. And so, you know, Becky, I think when people say, why pet obesity? I say, it's about longevity and quality of life. Because if you ask me, you know, what is the single biggest health threat that our pets face? It's going to be excess weight, right? An unhealthy body condition because it just causes so much systemic inflammation and damage to musculoskeletal system. I mean, we can go on and on. Cancer risk goes up, you know, I mean, gosh, you know, hormonal imbalances, I mean, blah, blah, blah. What I'm, I'm worried about is, okay, how do I keep this pet as healthy for as long as possible? And really that comes right back to a healthy body condition. Yeah. I Well, and I think it's the thing where, you know, uh, the nutrition folks will tell you, you know, nutrition's the core of everything because we can't heal without it. You know, and, and it's it's such a central part of so many other spokes of disease, right? right like right. they can be traced back to originating with obesity. But I, I guess what I want to ask too, because I'm, I'm looking at your results from 2021 and I think everybody should go to the website Take a look at the results. You, you make them really fun to look at. So I don't know who does your graphics, but they're really consumable. They're really consumable for your clients. What is the trends? Like you've been watching this now for years. What did last year show up against, you know, the previous years? Any improvements, any declines? Right. Well, listen, you just made Laura's day very bright because she does oh. all those graphics. <laughs> so it's killing it. Oh gosh. You know, Laura's amazing. And you know, she's been behind the scenes kind of making all this stuff happen for all these years. And so, you know, obviously it's a passion product between the two of us. I mean, honestly, Laura's the one who keeps the lights on and keeps the thing running. We have hired an executive director this year. In fact, uh, we're super happy to bring her on, Sue Hayes who was, believe it or not, the prior executive director for a long time for AFCO, which of course oversees uh, the pet food companies and regulations okay. in the country. So, so she uh, retired and then this opportunity, you know, I, I, through a network, you know, uh, this opportunity came up and she said, you know, Ernie, I'm retired, but I'd love to help, you know, you guys on a part-time basis. And because she really is passionate about it. So it's really nice, you know, this year we're expanding a lot of stuff. But but getting back to how does it change? One of the things that we recognize, okay, so back in the early days, if you fast forward from 2005 all the way up to really around 2015, 16, we were just interested in the prevalence. And that's still my main, you know, this is why we ask for your help, right? Just go sign up, you download an app, you just, when you see a pet in your clinic during October, you know, you just literally write down their BCS and their weight. It's that easy. And, you know, it's, it's simple. It takes takes no time at all. In fact, we've done a great job trying to make sure you don't have to spend a lot of time, you know, dealing with this app. But regardless, you know, we started looking at the attitudes of pet owners and vet professionals because it, it became very apparent to me that, wow, pet parents were viewing obesity and nutrition through a very different lens than we were as vet professionals. And so we started asking questions around like, what do you view is grain-free diet? Like we were, we were on that long before there was this controversy, you know, like, do you think grain-free is healthier for your pet or, you know, high protein diets and all that stuff. We also were asking them, does your vet 
talk to you about your pet's weight. You know, does your vet recommend a maintenance diet? And so what we've realized over the past several years of doing this survey, including last year, was the fact that we are split on a lot of these, these issues, right? So that, that vets might think that, you know, um, grain-free diet is not any healthier. It's just, you know, any other diet versus pet owners are going, wow, this is healthier. In fact, there was some interesting results we'll talk about with the DCM controversy as well and how pet owners had actually made changes or not. So again, and I appreciate you plugging the, the website, you know, petobesityprevention.org, all this, you know, we're a nonprofit. This is all just for you to use uh, to help your, your clients for sure and your team. But, you know, Becky, I think that where I've become the most concerned is the fact that vets, um, view nutrition as an afterthought. They fear like ca causing conflict in the exam room. So they're just not having these conversations. One of the things that we have tracked with pet owners, you know, for the past six years or five years, technically, is the fact that we ask them, does your vet talk to you about a healthy weight? You know, does your vet weigh your pet? And it's always, it's, we've never cracked 50%. You know, I think we got up to 48 or 49% one year. Um, and so this year it was 46%. And so we know that vets aren't even bringing the topic up. So, you know, when people say, where's the biggest disconnect? I'm like, well, vets aren't even talking about nutrition. Yeah, I do. You know, a lot of, when I, when I, travel and we talk about uh, osteoarthritis and for Behringer and mm -hmm. um, do these technician talks, specifically when you talk about osteoarthritis, nutrition and obesity come up, right? right? Obviously. And, you know, I always lean into your data talking about inflammation as well, talking about um, the, the way that we could even trace this back to cancer and how this is about longevity. This is about saving lives. This is about best practices and not just a conversation about a dog's figure or a cat's figure. But I, everywhere I go, and the thing I really like to bring up because I also have obesity is to talk about how uncomfortable it is because I think it right. needs to come from right. the people who, like you, I'm sorry, I, you know I love you with all of my being, but you're like out there, I, I don't even know, catching the waves <laughs> at 5 a.m. and meditating <laughs> under red lights. And you know I love you and admire it and everything like that. But the reality is a majority of us are not. Right. And also, like, I don't want to listen to obesity from you because I'm like, but I can't, I can't relate to your ability to get up at 4 a.m. and do those things, right? Five thirty. Whereas you're like, I can't relate to your ability to need to sleep in like you do back. But my point is just simply the relatability about it, right? So it gets so uncomfortable. People don't want to talk about it because if the client's obese, if the right. person's obese, if both of right. you are obese, if nobody's obese. There's so much fat shaming. There's so much yep. stigma. There's so much ugly, you know, because this is my thing lately is like, if somebody says something about, oh, I'm, you know, I'm too fat for this or I'm too fat for that or people always then say, oh, but oh, you're beautiful. Well, guess what? I didn't imply obesity wasn't beautiful. Thank you very much. You just decided to tell me that because I'm relating this thing to who or how I am, I'm therefore saying I'm not beautiful. No, I'm not. I'm just saying those are two separate things. But we have related in our society weight and beauty and all of those things to be synonymous. Except, you know, Lizzo, she's she's doing the dang <laughs> right. thing, right? She's breaking it up. The point is not to say let's all get like ignore. Like it's it's not like ignore it, but like let's unstigmatize it so right. that we can have those conversations and. And, and my point, and I've heard you say this before, is if I had diabetes or the client had diabetes, I wouldn't feel uncomfortable talking about diabetes. Right. 
Right. But there are certain things. Um, I, I think bad teeth. I, ha- I think there's people out there who have a hard time talking about dental issues to people who have their own dental issues. Obesity. There are just certain things that are triggering for people. And this is definitely one of them. And I think that going back to these graphics I can't get over, a lot of this conversation and a lot of the way it comes up makes it very approachable. And I think that that's where people are having the hardest time is the approachability about the conversations because of the stigma. Right. Right. What do you guys do? How do you try to break up the stigma? How do you face that? Because I mean, like if you're yep. leading the voice out there for let's talk about obesity, then what are what are you telling people to do? Right. Well, and the first thing too, we are, I can tell you 2023 is all about weight bias of veterinarians. Uh, as you know, I've worked on the human side, particularly with childhood obesity over the years. And so we've learned a lot uh, and they've learned a lot from us, I think as well. So I've worked with several organizations and continue to, to work on how do we overcome this weight stigma, right? Because that's actually crucial curtailing access to medical care on the human side. And I argue that it's also doing the same effect on the vet side, meaning that when people aren't having these conversations, the pet is ultimately suffering. And so, you know, th- that that's the first thing. The other thing that we've done, we've been very clear about what we, what in the human terms, they call it patient first terminology or language. We call it pet first. So that's why you don't hear me say obese pet because that actually makes a judgment on the pet and actually says they're like, it's your fault. We say pets with obesity. A pet has obesity. And you know, so if you look through all of our documents, you'll see that we we subtly try to insert that kind of language to transfer, you know, this to not not be something that, you know, it's the pet's fault, literally, or even blaming the pet, pet parent all the time, right? Because there's a lot more to this. Genetics being right at the forefront of this. And one of the reasons why, you know, working with Basepaws, a genetics company, I'm really, there's several genetic mutations that we're very, very interested in over there. But but Becky, you know, getting back to that, okay, so I'm uncomfortable with the conversation. We, yeah, totally get it. That is a reality. Having said that, it's like you mentioned, I say, you know, you, you can't just ignore this large cancerous mat, mass on the dog for fear that the owner might have gone through cancer and chemotherapy themselves. So, you know, it, it is one of those tricky, touchy subjects. Don't have all the great answers for you. I've written a lot about this. I lecture, continue to lecture a lot about how to have those conversations. I talk about, you know, the past, you know, six or seven years using something called a narrative nutritional history, which guides you to storytelling by the pet owner. So again, no judgment involved there. You're literally starting off by saying, tell me about Bosco's day, you know? So there's some, there are some very subtle techniques. And again, I've published those in several, in two textbooks over the past few years, including a peer review a document for vet clinics of, of North North America. So um, I, I think, Becky, that's that's not a great answer, but it's just saying that we are working on it and next year expect some some research. In fact, that's right what we're doing right now. No, I, I mean, I love it. And I think we're getting closer and closer and more and more people are getting more comfortable. I think I would say, and tell me if you agree, if your research agrees, um, well, I know you said you're just starting it, but you'll get, when I, when the, I finish- The weight this, bias. You know right, what I mean? Right, yeah. yeah. Well, <laughs> it is more about- the, are more people talking about it? You know, you specifically ask the question t- in this survey from pet owners. My my veterinarian did or did not talk to me about obesity nutrition. What is that trend looking like? Are are we talking about it more? No, we're not, and that's oh. one, that's one of the frustrating things. I mean, yes, a little bit more, but not enough that makes it significant. So each year we ask this. You know, does your veterinarian discuss your pet's ideal or healthy weight? And this year, in twenty twenty one, rather, forty six percent said yes. As I mentioned, one year we almost cracked fifty. We got like forty eight, forty nine percent. So no, no, Becky, we need to do a better job. And I think that the barriers and obstacles to that question are just as you described. It's just 
a general discomfort about the conversation. And it's interesting because working on the human obesity side as well, they have the same challenges, Becky. I mean, you know, this is yeah. this is not unique to the vet world. In fact, many would argue it's much worse on the human side, um, you know, because again, the the doctor, the MD, the, the physician's assistant doesn't want to fear, I mean, doesn't want to cause uh, inadvertent harm or, or, or you, know, uh, you know, somehow offend them. I, I well, and if you even say obesity in the human side, right. insurance won't pay for it, right? So right. now we've made it an issue because it's like we're, we can't we can't mention it. Which how much do you think that affects the pet side? Because we aren't talking about it on the human side because we can't. Yeah, I, I don't think that there's any type of uh, third party payment that's in, inhibiting this conversation. I think it's just as you said, our own discomfort, right? It's just yeah. we don't want, and, and I get it. You know, we don't want to inadvertently offend, and this is why I say the first step, the most important step, and this is when I describe the narrative nutritional history, Becky, it's gaining permission. Literally, you don't have this conversation unless the client says they want to have it, and it's as simple as saying, "Hey, it looks like you know Bosco." picked up a couple of pounds this year. I'm getting concerned about his weight. You know, he uh, he, he has obesity now. Um, is that something that, you know, we could talk about today? I'd like to maybe give you some tips or advice. And and then if the person shuts down and he says, yeah, you know, and, and honestly, Becky, they will, you know, they'll say, ah, not, oh, yeah. you know, I, I hear you. I just, you know, it's, listen, this, I know, I know it's a problem. What most people tell me, Becky, is this answer right here. It's something along the lines of, I know, I know it's, it's my fault. I'm feeding too much, giving too many treats, whatever they say, um, but yeah, I'm working on it. And that's it. And that's a no. Right. And I don't go further. Right. I don't go further. Right. Now, then you'll get those people. And I used to tell people this is about one in four. And I'm being just, I'm being generous, you know, but about one in four of those people will say, you know, Dr. Ward, yeah, I, I'm, I know I've been feeding too much, whatever, and I am getting worried about it. Uh, what do you think I should do? And when that happens, you know, the skies part, you know, angels come down and there's harps and everything. And I'm like, okay, now we can do something. And so for me, you know, I'm waiting, get permission, you know, because I think that where people fear is, is the fact that, you know, if they try to have a conversation without permission, and honestly, when they say no, or don't, seem excited about talking about it, don't do it, right? What, yeah. Why? That That's really where I start. Yeah, it would, I, I kind of love that is like, because once you have permission, then you don't feel weird about the conversation. Right. Um, Because you've you've been given the open door to have it. I, I was thinking about a veterinarian who came up to me at the end of a conference uh, lecture, I, and I'm pretty sure it was on osteoarthritis, but he said, you know, I had a client and, and it was only one and he had, he'd clearly been practicing for a minute. And he said, I had one client pull me aside and she said, don't ever, ever talk to me about my dog's weight again. Don't ever bring up my dog's weight. Yeah. And just literally kind of scolded him and told him like, that'll be enough of that. We're not going to talk about my dog's weight. And I was like, wow. Yep. Um, you know, but, but he said it had only happened one time. Right, right. And, you know, I was thinking too um, about when you were talking about this conversation, okay, it's always fluffy and Mrs. Jones or whatever, right? And Mrs. Jones fluffy now has obesity. How many pre professionals, because I would have to say, I couldn't exactly tell you where is the line at obesity? So at what right. point do they have obesity? So do we avoid the conversation because we don't really know? We're like, okay, well, you're a body condition score of this. The last time I checked, not one of them really made a diagnosis at that point. 
Right. And that's a great point. So to, to answer that question, we actually set out to make a global standard. And so in 2018, uh, we and myself, along with Alex German from the UK, Julie Churchill from University of Minnesota, we wrote a very, very well-researched uh, position statement called the Global Pet Obesity Initiative Position Statement. And to date, it's been signed by over 25 of the world's largest uh, veterinary organizations. So this is all over Europe. All You know, we, we've South America, we've got some, you know, uh, one kind of in Asia, but, you know, again, this is for our world, it's everybody. And so what we did was we set out to do three very, very simple things. One, we wanted to have a uniform definition of obesity, which is getting back to your question. The second thing is we wanted to have a universal body condition score because at that time, there were currently three in use globally, okay? And some would argue a fourth, but that was really a very minor one. So we wanted to say, hey, we want to all unite under one. We went with the one through nine scale because it had the most research behind it to validate it. Also, remember, these are whole integers, okay? So it's not it's not 4.5 on a nine scale. Yeah. It's, it's four, it's five or whatever. And then the final thing that we did, and honestly, the most controversial and why some of the organizations around the world would not sign off was to define obesity as a disease. Now, we were simply following all of the other global human medical organizations that define obesity as a disease, but we did definitely get some pushback, you know, from, from organizations around the world. And so when we looked at the definition of obesity, so first of all, universal body condition score, as we know, that's pretty simple, right? So when you get six, seven, eight, nine, you know, and, and eight and nine are considered obesity. And of course, you know, seven and eight are overweight, but we also used the human literature. And I was pretty, you know, it was, it was interesting because this was, I would say the BCS scale, I wanted the one, I, I actually was a one to five guy, whole integer one to five, because I was like, either just call it overweight or obese. It's a subjective interpretation. But really, when you dig into the literature, we just had so much more support for a one to nine as it matches up with body fat composition. So we were like, okay, let's just go with the one to nine. But again, you know, Julie and Alex love the one to nine. I was the one to five, but I was convinced. But where we really worked hard was I, I wanted to adhere to the definition of obesity, which is trickier. And it's tricky in humans as well. And what I said was we probably should follow the standard human definition of obesity, which is defined as 30% above an ideal body weight. Now, the challenge with that statement right there is, wow, there's a lot of variations in ideal body weight. But when you look at the literature on the human side, and again, there's there's a fairly decent body of evidence on the, on the, on the vet side as well, you realize that you can kind of get a, a very good idea of what an ideal body weight is. And if you match that up with a BCS, and if you match that up with you know, body fat, a composition, wow, you can start to see this is very valuable. So for us, we just said, hey, we're going to follow in sync. And, and it was really nice because as we were developing this position statement, you know, Becky, as I mentioned, all of us typically work with other human obesity organizations because you know, we, we know that these, these issues are very similar especially on the pediatric side. Childhood obesity and pet obesity have some of the exact same challenges and causes, I would argue. But regardless, you know, when, when we started bringing them our position statement, and again, we did not have them sign on to it because as a human medical organization, we didn't think it really you know, would help us or it didn't hurt us, but we just didn't have them participate. We just said, does this look okay to you? They were all in agreement that 30% above ideal body weight uh, is definitely preferred. And so, you know, we felt like we were on good footing with that. So again, I encourage you to go to the website. We've got all of that laid out. You can see all the current organizations, you know, again, this is Wasava, 
This is the PDSA in uh, in UK, Pet Nutrition Alliance. NAFTA was one of the early signatories, just so you know, Becky. I mean, NAFTA was yeah. early on with this. Uh, International Cat Care Federation of European Companion Animal Veterinary Association. That was a tough one. The really tough one, though, for us were two groups in Europe. One was the European Society of Veterinary Internal Medicine, their internists, but we got another signatory which I was so proud of, and Alex did a great job of doing this, the European Society of Vet Endocrinology. And let me tell you, they were, boy, they went through that position statement with a fine-tooth comb, and it was really, really nice. And of course, you know, on the human, on the the U.S. side, ACVIM, you know, everybody, American Academy of Vet Nutrition, AFP, I mean, you know, AVMA Board of Directors uh, definitely did that. Um, so you, you get it. Canadian Vet Medical Association. I mean, it's all over the world. We've got lots of great signatories. I'd encourage you to take a look at that. But, but Becky, again, you know, I want, also want to talk about the last year's survey because there were, there were a lot of things that I think vets are, don't, don't quite understand. And the, the one thing I always want to highlight is that A, most pet parents and most veterinary professionals have tried to help a pet lose weight, okay? Every year we ask that question, you know, it's like 80% of vet professionals, 70% of, of pet owners always say, hey, we did that. But we also ask a question since 2016 of where do you receive the best pet dietary recommendations, right? Where do you get the best information? And believe it or not, in our surveys, I know they may be slightly biased to our group, but basically it's vet clinic, and online internet. And so far in our surveys, vet clinic, and again, this could be slightly biased because this is a you know group that's interested in nutrition, but vet clinic is always just out, outdone online internet. But here's where it gets really interesting. If you look at what people respond, about 78% last year, and this matches up year, off, year after year for the last five years, about 78% say it's vet clinic and online, and then everything else drops off. Like pet store, 7%, breeder, 6%, friend, 5%, groomer, trainer, 4%. So a lot of times vets are like, oh gosh, you know, nobody wants to hear from a vet. Well, Becky, our survey is very clear that vets are definitely a, a preferred source of information. So we got to be having this conversation. You know, it's interesting. I was I was thinking about this and, you know, I've always been kind of an advocate for quote unquote Dr. Google and sort of saying like, yeah, I think we're just trying to be informed. And I think we're all a bunch of hypocrites because every time we find something weird or whatever, we immediately Google it. That's right, why right. WebMD is a thing. Right. So I'm sort of like, chill out, y'all. But I do think we don't consider it advice. I don't consider it advice. I think it like baseline, do I need to go to it? Is this cancer or like a mole? You know, like I, I, I'm going to go online, I'm going to figure it all out, but then I'm going to go to the doctor and get peace of mind. Right. So sometimes I think we give, we give Dr. Google more credit than honestly our clients do. It's just sort of baseline information. So I think that the, it would be interesting to dig deep there and say, sure, yeah, I Google it too. But the advice, the thing I follow up with and right. listen to is right. my veterinarian. But what I'm going to Google for is, how do I ask the question I'm trying to think of? Let me find things to question about. So um, I, I think this is where, you know, a lot of times the new trend in human medicine is tell me what you know about. Right. Pedo right. You know, tell me what you know about this thing that we're trying to talk about right now. The other thing I want to bring up real quick, and, and I guess it has nothing to do with your survey, but it has everything to do with your survey is when I'm, when I'm traveling around and I'm talking to people and we do this osteoarthritis talk and we're talking about obesity, I say to the, everybody like, okay, what do you tell your clients who, who have pets that are obese? Um, and, and it is kind of ubiquitously walk more, 
eat less, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, and, and green beans, you know, universally green <laughs> beans are the magic wand of weight loss. Oh, so yeah. then I say to them like, Hey, have you ever had a pet have significant weight loss on green beans? Now I've had some snarky, like, yes. And I'm like, okay, so solely on green beans. Well, no, they did other things. Okay. Right. So you think the green beans were the magic part there. But my, you get what I'm getting at I here. I do, I do. As a, as a technician, the tool in my toolbox is to tell you to walk more and eat green beans. Yep. And um, how do you, how, what, is that, what I, does that do to your soul? I know. And last year, I did a bunch of uh, press uh, around during COVID. We were talking about COVID weight gain in pets. And, and I was like, you know, one of the things is vets need more than exercise, more feed less. That's our treatment. That's it. Yeah. So, you know, again, when I work with the human obesity groups, I mean, they've got tons of drugs, surgeries and all that stuff. And, and you can poo-poo that all you want, but I'm telling you, there are a lot of pharma- pharmaceutical interventions that do have significant effect. And again, this isn't just about like losing weight. This is about reducing metabolic influence on, you know, disease. So, I mean, it's, yeah. this is a lot more than that. So, uh, you know, Becky, I, I, I totally agree with you. Having said that, we are stuck with it. You know, I found the most success and, you know, and even in my early book in 2010, Chow Hounds, you know, I, I, what we were doing, you know, really from... The, the late 90s on was something called a step weight loss plan. And we've published this as well. So this was also part of uh, the AHA guidelines as well uh, that I was a co-author in. And so, you know, it's basically this sort of taking the weight loss approach in three-month chunks, 90-day chunks. And the, the one big, biggest bit of, advi- bit of advice I can give anybody is to reweigh the pet at least every three months and to make a significant change in either calories or in formulation, typically switching diets, you know, or in exercise if you're not seeing results in three months. What breaks my heart more than anything are seeing patients, you know, referral type patients where they've been on a quote unquote weight loss diet or a diet food from their vet, a prescription food from their vet for a year and it gained a pound. And it's like, well, nobody was minding the store, right? Because you should have checked that in, uh, you know, weeks and yeah. months ago. So it, it is frustrating. But, you know, I would say that we start with obviously the food bowl is the most important impact on your weight. Uh, exercise is such a minimal contributor to weight loss in dogs and cats. And again, primarily, well, A, because cats completely use a different energy system. So there's a whole different physiology involved. But B, dogs are incredibly aerobically efficient. I mean, if you go back and read Chowhounds, when I talk about some of that early research done by the Air Force in the 70s on dogs, because again, they were using these dogs in experiments, you know, for air, you know, aircraft and space and all that stuff. And I'm not going to get into that judgment today. But regardless, they were really doing deep dives into physiology. And Becky, these guys are incredibly efficient. One, one thing, oh, yeah. yeah. Well, and, and that's, that's why it's so hard. And when it's really hard, what do we do? We give up, right? So, you know, I, I think that having that background knowledge and the understanding is so essential. And you know, I get zero royalties, although if they'd like to give me some, I'm up for it. But I had amazing results with um, Hills Metabolic Plus Mobility sure, for, sure. for my dog. And I, in, in like you said, there's so much controversy. I get it. But what I know is my chubby pit bull is not any longer. Um, and it, it had very little to do with her exercise because her knees were blown at that time. So right. um, just, I, I guess I'm just an advocate for 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 like I I do love a green bean. Don't get me wrong, but I just don't think they're the. Right. Ma- I don't think they're magic stock 
green beans. And I'm not a green bean fan. I believe in uh, crunchy vegetables more like uh, uh, baby carrots. Like that's my favorite. Green beans are crunchy and baby carrots are uh, sugary. Uh, no, 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 no. Wrong, wrong, wrong. Myth, myth, myth. myth oh, did buster. you just, you wronged me. My nutritionist told me that. <laughs> no. She's they, licensed. No, 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 not at all. So uh, one thing too, before we go today, I did, uh, I de- definitely check out the 2021 uh, pet food survey because I think you'll find a lot of valuable information. We've got, as Becky mentioned, these cute little infographics. You can download them, share them on your social media. They get a lot of conversations and engagement. But one thing I don't want to forget today before we leave you guys is the DCM controversy. And so we've been tracking this for the past few years since it popped up. And we ask again, pet owners and veterinary professionals. So that's why we want you to participate in the prevalence study. So track those BCSs and you know all that stuff. And you're getting, there's prizes, which I'll tell you about in just a second. You could win a Yeti cooler for yourself you know, and an iPad for your clinic if you, if you win, if you send the most in. But regardless, uh, when we started tracking this, we realized that that there's been a continued controversy around this. And so what we do is we say, you know, hey, do you think that grain-free pet foods are healthy? And, uh, or do you think they're not healthy? You know, that kind of stuff. And basically, uh, 88% of vet, vet professionals, you know, say that grain-free diets were not healthy for their pets. And yet on the flip side, of course, you know, dog owners, you know, say the majority say that uh, grain-free free or healthy, you know, so so I think that there's still a lot of controversy. We asked an interesting question last year and we asked, okay, so because we just went right for it. We said, have you changed dog food brands due to the grain-free DCM heart disease controversy? That's the question that we ask because, you know, there's been a lot of concern that people are just like willy-nilly changing foods. Well, in our survey last year, you know, of almost 900 pet owners or whatever it was, um, 79% said no. So Becky, you see where I'm getting it? Only 21% said that they changed their dog food brand due to DCM concern. So I think that that's really interesting, right? I mean, you know, so I think there's controversy out there, but I don't think it's enough for people to go, well, I'm going to stop feeding whatever I'm feeding because I think they were convinced that my food was safe. Does that make sense? I mean, of course it makes sense. It's just really frustrating, right? Because we find ourselves in such a pickle about educating and uneducating and we don't necessarily feel confident or educated ourselves. So, you know, I think I, I, I don't even want to, you know, (laughs) I'm, I'm, I'm going to step away from this gently and say, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes, I totally agree. <laughs> a lot of controversy. So again, and we go into deep dive. So just go to the website. You can download either the, the infographics or we have a summary report as well. You can get a PDF or whatever. And the last thing I'll leave you guys with today is we also asked them the past couple of years, like, well, what motivates you? What influences you, right? So what claims on the pet food? Is that what, you know, why you bought the food? And no surprise, the same things keep popping up the past five years. The number one reason that people are saying they, they are influenced to buy the food that they're feeding today are what we call the the free from. And these are the no byproducts, right? So when that is without a doubt, in fact, almost a third of the pet owners said, I'm looking for a pet food with no byproducts. Now, we can all laugh and giggle, right? But you know, the reality is they're looking for free from claims. The second, of course, right in it, you know, 29% for the no byproducts and 28% was high protein. No surprise there because that continues to be this thing that people think I need more and more protein. Uh, made in the USA this year actually kept climbing. So we've watched this, Becky, over the past several years. Sourced and made in the USA is now up uh, tied with protein. Grain-free was 25%. No corn, no soy, 25%. Organic, 24%. No GMOs, 20%. And then it just drops off pretty steeply after that, right? So, you know, 
Um, I, I think it's very interesting to kind of look at that. And the reason that I mentioned that one in particular, viewfinders, and, and why we give this information, quite frankly, is so that when you're like training your staff, like those are the things you want to lean into because you need to be able to answer those questions. Let's say that you think GMOs are fine, which I think a lot of GMOs are fine. I think they may be the way that we save our planet as far as our food supply goes. Uh, there are some GMOs that I, I'm not in favor of, but you, you know, so it's a nuanced issue. But these are areas that you should train your staff on. So like if you go and look at that list and say, what influences pet food, food decisions by pet parents? Well, then that might help you with your training. So I hope, I hope that does help. So again, October 12th, you sign up now, get your clinic signed up now, sign up yourself, share it with your clients so they can sign up. Again, we're giving away a Yeti cooler. Uh, those are great. They're costly, but man, I got to tell you, the person that submits the most uh, data, most uh, uh, BCS and weights on pets is going to get a Yeti cooler. Super nice. I think it's like 300 bucks, Becky. So it's a nice Yeah, one. they're super nice. Yeah. And then of course, for the clinic that participates and gives us the most data, they're going to get another iPad. And we've done that the past few years. And, and man, the clinics that get those iPads, they send me just the nicest notes because, you know, you can use that with your staff. You can give it to your clients, like, you know, to check in or whatever. I mean, there's those iPads are, again, they're expensive, but I, I think it's well worth it. And we're super happy to do that. So sign up, petobesityprevention.org. Becky, anything else? Yeah, no, I think we, you know, we love to win prizes and we love to help pets. And so this is a way to do both. And I appreciate the hard work you're putting in because it, it does give us a lot of resources and confidence. So um, I encourage everybody to fill it out. So we have, we have the information we need to help pets. Yep. And we will be talking about Becky's thing, which is the giving tree. And so hopefully in the next week or two, we'll talk to you about that because that is gearing up and kicking off right now. Uh, and again, I think it's going to be really important, Becky, this year. I think once again, there's a lot of us in need, a lot of us, meaning our veterinary professional colleagues that uh, Becky just targets. So I can't wait. Becky, just real quick plug, where can they go to start to find out more? You guys can head over to veterinarygivingtree.com or our we have a Facebook group and we have a page just veterinary industry giving tree on either of those uh, we're on Facebook or um, Instagram you can pretty much go anywhere uh, on the social medias to find us but October 1st we'll be opening up nominations so you and I will be talking about that yep. but you know just a lot of good things we're always happy and proud to to give back and, and always grateful for a platform to you know bend your ear about how we want to help more. That's right, guys. You can reach us on social media, Veterinary Viewfinder all over the world, as well as on Twitter at Vet Viewfinder. But most importantly, send us an email if you've got a suggestion or you want to have help us with the pet obesity prevention or whatever. Email us at veterinaryviewfinder at gmail.com. Again, all the links will be in the show notes below, guys. Thank you so much for listening and we can't wait. Please help us October 12th, National Pet Obesity Awareness Day. Thanks again. Bye. Bye. Thanks, Becky. That was cool. Yeah. 